Good morning, everybody. Today is the third in our series of the Unholy Trinity, and today I'm going to be talking about power. Power. And that is how I think of the word power. That's how it leaps out of the page to me when I see that word. Now, I spend a lot of time developing uh, young people and children's ability to use words, and I love words myself. I love thinking about the meaning of words and their links and their associations and how we can change words by the way that we use them. And power is a word to me that I just, it just speaks. It's a forceful word. Um, it's a word of strength. But it's a word that has many positive and negative associations. When we think about power, we can think about the power of God, which is a good, positive thing. Or we can think about the feelings of fear and control that power can engender within us. What do you think of when you hear the word power? Do you think of maybe powerful countries in the world? USA, Russia, China. And what sort of feelings do those countries engender within you? Do you admire them for what they've done, for what they've built up? Or maybe do you fear them because of the impact that they're having on our lives here in Britain today or the impact that they could have in the future? Do we think about powerful people? President Trump, Theresa May, Vladimir Putin, the Pope, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and maybe powerful people nearer to home, the headmaster or headmistress in our children's school, your boss, Graham, our vicar, all are people of power, who have power. And what sort of feelings do they engender within us? Feelings of admiration? Are they role models we aspire to be like? We like them? Or do they maybe fear? They fear, control, a few negative thoughts, dislike. And if we were to ask our children what do they think about power, probably they would talk about superheroes, wouldn't they? Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, somebody like that. And to them, those people are good because they overcome evil. The bad things are overcome. They sort things out. And the bad, the baddies, well, they get their comeuppance. So they've got a good sort of, a nice starting point that good conquers evil. I've got some questions that I'm hoping that I'm going to answer in today's talk. How do we view power in our lives today? What role does it play? And do we as Christians, do we as Christians, sorry, have the same view of power as the society we live in? Do we want to be powerful people? Or do we maybe equate having power as being in control? I'm going to start with the last question. Do we maybe equate having power as being in control? Neighbor, uh, an American Protestant theologian in the 1920s, suggests that as human beings, we actually have very little power or control, or very little control over our lives. He will argue that 95% of our lives is out of our control. For example, we have no say over the century or the place into which we are born, who our parents are, who our family is. We have no say over our childhood environment. I mean, as we grow up, we do have a little bit more say about where we live and what we do. We have no say over our genetic makeup. We come with that. And indeed, a lot of the circumstances that we find ourselves in today, actually, we have very little control over. So there is a concept here of givenness. We are given 
a lot of things. And all things have been given to us by God. And if we acknowledge this, acknowledge the fact that we have been given a lot of things, then we can grow in trust and faith. If we don't acknowledge this, then we ignore the giver. We don't acknowledge the giver, God. In our Gospel readings today, uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil, taken into the wilderness and tempted. And in verses 8 to 10, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus knows where true power comes from and what true power is. It's not about domination and control. It's about working with one another. It's about working to develop the common good. Jesus acknowledges the giver. He knows where power comes from. I want to consider now two kings in the Bible, to talk a little bit about two very powerful kings in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar, who we heard about in our first reading, a very powerful king in 6th century Babylon. Um, He conquered Assyria, he conquered Egypt, he conquered Judah, and took a lot of the Israelis into captivity in Babylon. But he was insecure. He slept uneasily. He had dreams which troubled him. And in Daniel 2, verses 1 to 2, it reads, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar summoned these men, he didn't reveal his dreams to them. He said to them, you tell me what I've dreamt, and you interpret the dream for me. Because he felt that if he told them the dreams, then they could put their own interpretation on him. And they, they said to him, well, we can't do this. You have to reveal your dream to us. And Nebuchadnezzar said, no, no, I'm not going to. You tell me what it was that I dreamt. They couldn't do that. So he wanted them to be put to death. Daniel heard about this, prayed to God, prayed for the lives of the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, and he also prayed that God should reveal the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had so that he could interpret them. And again, in Daniel 2, verses 31 to 35, we read, Daniel says to the king, Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like thrash, uh, like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that had struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And Daniel interprets this as kingdoms come and kingdoms will go. They can be rich, mighty, powerful kingdoms, but if they're not kingdoms that are filled with the power of God, they will come down. They will be destroyed until the final kingdom is established, God's kingdom. And that is the mountain that fills the earth, the rock 
not carved by human hands, the power that comes from God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a pluralist. He worshipped many gods. But when he heard Daniel interpret his dream and tell him uh, what had happened, he prostrated himself before God and he said, the, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of, Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. So for Nebuchadnezzar, it was a call to humility. It was a, a call to acknowledge where the power that he had had come from. And so he did, at that point, worship God. But as we saw in the second reading, he actually fell away and had to be taught again to remember where the power that he had within him, where it came from. The power came from God, not one that we can generate ourselves. Now, as we think through history, despots, tyrants, great rulers, they appear to do rather well, actually. You know, they command great armies, they live in luxury, they're rich, wealthy, but what we have to remember is that God will bring them down, either dramatically or gradually, because where true power comes from, comes from God. It does not come from ourselves. All human power will crumble in the end. The other king that I want us to just think about briefly is David. Now, David was a great king, and he was appointed by God, anointed by Samuel. He was powerful, rich, won many battles, but he abused his power, as we saw in the story with Bathsheba, when he saw this beautiful woman who was married to somebody else, but he wanted her. And because he was king and because he was powerful, he could have her, and he took her, and he slept with her, and she became pregnant while her husband was away fighting on the front. Now, David didn't want people to know that this was his child, so he arranged for Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, to come back from the battle and hopefully lie with his wife, and then they could say that the child was his. But Uriah the Hittite was an honourable man, and when he came back, he said, no, I can't enjoy and take pleasure in my wife while my men are fighting on the front line. So he went back to the battlefield, and David arranged for him to be put right at the front in a dangerous place, and he was killed. The Lord then sent Nathan, the prophet, to talk to David. And when he came to David, in 2 Samuel 12, we read, The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle, to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Now when David heard this story, he burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to him, That man is you. And David realised that he had done something because he was powerful. He had abused his position of power. He had taken what someone else had. He wanted it and he took it because he could, because of the position that he was in. The Lord didn't uh, uh, kill David then, didn't arrange for him to die, but the child that Bathsheba bore 
did die. That child died in infancy. David is reminded where his power comes from. It's not generated within himself. His power came from the Lord. Now, if we think about the past, and maybe not so long ago, power may have been seen as a necessity. Women, for example, often wanted to marry powerful men, strong men, for two reasons, really. One, because if you were married to a strong man, strong in strength and powerful, your offspring were more likely to be healthy. And in days of high infant mortality, that was quite an important thing. And also, if your husband, partner, was a powerful man, then it ensured protection for you as well, for you and your family. So there was a reason there for looking for somebody of power. Communities also liked strong, powerful leaders because they were less likely to be attacked. And they might join together to make alliances to protect themselves from other countries or indeed to be the aggressors and to attack weaker countries. We're possibly no different today because as countries we still group together, don't we, to make alliances, NATO, the European Union, and whilst we're not necessarily the aggressors anymore and we're we're there as a protective to stop other countries from uh, attacking us and from us fighting between ourselves and to arrange trade deals and so that things can be done fairly, you still see a, a bit of a power game going on in these alliances. People using the power that they have there to further their own ambitions and their own dreams. Society maybe sees power as a good thing. It allows us to get what we want, to control others. If you're powerful, you're likely to make money. And if you're a powerful man or woman, you might have easy access to sex. So there we have the three, power, money, and sex. And sometimes our role models are those powerful people. We would like to be as they are. But what about us? What about you and me, right? Individually, each one of us here is a person of power. And collectively, we are a very powerful people because we are full of the power of Jesus given to us through the Holy Spirit. There are lots of passages in the Bible that point to this. Abraham 40, verses 29 to 31. He gives strength to the weary, and and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them power to cast out unclean spirits to heal the sick. Micah chapter 3, verse 8. On the other hand, I'm filled with power, the Spirit of the Lord. Or Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we are a people of power. But how do we use the power that God gives us? How do we use it at work? Some of us might be managers. We might manage maybe one or two people. We might manage departments. Or we might, in fact, run the whole company might be our company or we might be CEO of a company. How do, we, how do we manage? How do we use the power that we have there? Are we dominant? Do we like the element of control that it gives us? Are we fair? Do we take credit for what someone else has done and pretend actually that, that it was us that did it? Do we have favourites? Or do we work together with our work colleagues? 
acknowledging that we all have different gifts and different strengths, but that together we can get the work done. Together the project can be completed. That power that we have that comes from God to use for the common good. And when the job is done, do we say thank you to God and everybody has worked well. Thank each other as well. Or what about our power in the family? Whether we are parents or aunties or uncles or friends of people who have children. How do we come across to our children and young people? Are we dominant? Do we want them to pursue a path because we think it would be good for them? That that will get them a good job? That they'll be able to make lots of money? Give them a position in life? Or do we look at their strengths and their talents and nurture and nurture them and try to develop them? Just a, a, on a lighter note, maybe Maggie should buy Ashi a drum kit at home <laughs> because it might be that he has a real talent there and in denying him that opportunity to practice for a very young age, he might never achieve it. So do we look at our children and see the talents <laughs> the talents and, and strengths that they have or, and their weaknesses and through their strengths develop their weaknesses? Do we think carefully about what we say in front of our children so that we're not passing on our prejudices and our intolerances? I know they grow up, our children grow up, and they all have their own views, but we are laying the foundations there. So we have to think about the powerful role that we're in and what we do. Our behaviour, how do we treat others? Do they see us as people who are single-minded in what we want to achieve, where we want to go, and that we actually don't care about what we're doing on the way there, the people that we're maybe hurting or destroying the environment? Or do they see us working with other people, serving our community and our environment? And then what about our position in the community? Are we working to better our community? Are we using the power that we have, joining organisations that work for social justice, for better housing, helping the homeless or helping refugees? Or are we intent on building our own positions? And even if we are working within these organisations, are we actually working for the common good for everybody or do we want to be seen as the person in this organisation who is you know, the big one who's doing all this good work? Are we forgetting where the power that we have within us, where it comes from? Remember, Jesus is often called the servant king because he came with all that power, but he used it to serve others. He did not exercise dominant power. He served others and worked with others to develop the kingdom of God. We are a people of power. And Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 tells us, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. With God in, in us, we can achieve anything. Any obstacles in our lives that appear to be as mountains, if we work with the power that God has given us, with God, through prayer and working with our fellow, our fellow man, we can achieve the goal in the end. It may not happen overnight, it may take time, but we will get there in the end. We are God's representatives on earth, his mouthpieces. And Paul instructs us in Ephesians 5 verse 1 to imitate him. And as Joyce Mayer says, as his representatives, we should speak his word boldly with authority, believing it is power to change lives, circumstances and communities. So let us be a people of power 
and help build God's kingdom on earth. Let us be a people of power and use the power that we have that's given to us through the Holy Spirit for the common good. Thank you.